Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff. This is Coffee with Cannon, my early morning show, early afternoon show. Uh, we got the news uh, yesterday that Police Officer Wilbert Moore had passed away from his, from the shooting that occurred. So he's the second 3-2 police officer. His partner, Police Officer Rivera, had died shortly after um, this attack on these two officers. Um, you know, it's somber. It's a somber time for New York City. Uh, I just want to also mention P.O. Sumit Sulan, who is the um, a huge hero in, in my mind and in the mind of a lot of New York City folks. Um, I want to put up on the screen, that's Officer Wilbert Moore from the 3-2 Precinct. A very proud precinct. Officer Moore uh, was, a, I believe, a four-year veteran. Can't say enough about these two guys. They had all, you look at them, they had filled with life, filled with life, filled, filled with love, filled with great expectations for their life, love for being a police officer, for what that meant being a police officer. Um, this is the, um, put up with the department police officer, Wilbert Moore. It's on the screen, 32nd Precinct, New York City Police Department. End of watch, January 25th, uh, 2022. You know, we as um, police, and and will always be police, um, we're sick to our stomach over this. We really are sick over this. The other night I had on um, Chief Louis Anamone, the former chief of department, the NYPD, a former commanding officer of the 3-2 precinct, and Irvin Urbina, who is the 3-2 precinct. You know, and Abina, not just noted for being a good detective, a great detective, but a great human being. He was the go-to guy in the 3-2 precinct when um, you had a problem at home with your family. You had any kind of, he would get up in the middle of the night and help anybody. He was the, the Detective Endowment Association trustee from the 3-2, and he was known all over Manhattan North and known all over the city. I'm going to be joined right now by my usual co-host, and he's, he was available today, so I'm going to bring him in, a retired NYPD detective, Phil Grimaldi. Phil, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing okay, Billy, but uh, it's a sad day that we lost uh, police officer Mori yesterday, and uh, I think the police commissioner said it best when she said uh, he was a hero three times over, that he uh, dedicated his life to uh, being a police officer, a uh, man of service. Uh, he gave his life for the city of New York, and then in death, he... Uh, he gave his organs to uh, possibly save the life of others. And uh, what more could you ask for a, from a human being? I mean, uh, that's a triple hero, and uh, we're going to honor him. And uh, we're going to send condolences to his family, obviously. But uh, tragically, we lost a, a, a really good young man. And uh, I just hope that his family finds peace, and I hope that he rests in peace. Folks, on the screen, I have what... Uh... Detective Grimaldi, uh, Phil Grimaldi, was referring to Police Commissioner uh, Keechan Sewell says Wilbert is three times a hero for choosing a life of service, for sacrificing his life, protect others, for giving his life even in death through organ donation. Our heads are bowed and our hearts are heavy. And that's for sure. I mean, organ donation, amazing. And I think, you know, we knew the other night that when he was transported to NYU Langone, we knew that that... Um, that wasn't good. That wasn't good information that we received. We understood what was going on, but 
it's not our job or anyone else's job to be first to announce it. I think that has to be private. I'm sure the family knew what was going on. Of course they knew. And yeah, he's three times a hero. And, you know, we really, uh, we're really suffering because a lot of this stuff uh, is because of policies that have been restricted the police on doing their job. Um, policies on mental illness that have allowed mentally ill people to walk these streets. And a lot of these progressives, and I want to walk this back because I don't believe this in many people, and they, they, they start yelling this stuff as soon as there's a gun crime. And even when there's thousands of them, they say, oh, we got to stop the guns. No, stop the people with the guns. The guns don't shoot anyone unless someone pulls the trigger, all right? So let's stop that nonsense. You have to go after the people that are carrying the guns and the people that are shooting these guns, not the gun, the iron highway, you call it, from the South. That's part of the long-term plan, all right? But the short-term plan are there are 300 million guns in the hands of U.S. citizens, many of them legal, many of them illegal, all right? So therefore, the police have to be empowered to take the guns off the street from the waistbands of the criminals who carry them. And to do that, they need to do their job and utilize what's called stop, question, and frisk. And the press and progressives have demonized that procedure. And that procedure is the procedure that protects police. It's the procedure that protects citizens. And it's the procedure that takes guns out of the hands of criminals. Billy, I think uh, you're really hitting the nail right on the head there. Uh, a few years back when Stop, Question, and Frisk was, uh, you know, put on the uh, the burner, the back burner, so to speak, where they uh, they talked about how it was uh, targeting minorities, it was overused, and then you had the anti-crime units in every precinct. There was citywide anti-crime as well as local anti-crime in every precinct in the city. Obviously, officers that were in plain clothes, you and I both worked in uh, anti-crime. You actually worked in street crime as well, which was a, a citywide anti-crime unit. I mean, it was targeted towards uh, getting guns off the street, uh, targeting the areas where people are carrying guns, uh, gangbangers, whatever. And when all of that came to a screeching halt a few years back, it became very clear and obvious that no one was afraid. None of the young guys that are on the street, they weren't afraid to carry guns. Obviously, there's the people that are bringing the guns in. But if you have a deterrence where people are afraid to carry a gun because they know they're going to get arrested, and if they get arrested, there's going to be bail, another thing, bail reform. And then they know that they could be facing up to three to five years in jail, whatever it is. It, it used to be one year, then they raised it to three years. If these people know that... They're going to get caught with a gun. They're going to be doing time. They're going to be, they're not going to get uh, no bail. They're going to be uh, bail on them to get out of jail. And maybe they got to come up with that money or they may face three years in jail. That's a deterrence. That's where you got to start with this thing. So if you have those things in place, and I think the other night when we had Chief Anamone on, he hit the nail right on the head. We as the police department need to do our job. Go out. Make the arrest. If the district attorney's office, like Alvin Bragg and the others too, I'm not going to only uh, alienate him. That he he's he's come out with that policy that he's not going to charge specific crimes and stuff like that. But the other DAs are following suit. When it started out with the uh, the minor marijuana possession, the drinking in public, the urinating in public, the jumping the turnstile, they all fell into lockstep that they're not going to charge those crimes. So you know what? We'll make the arrest. And if they don't charge it, it's on them. And if the, the uh, case has to get deferred, the arrest is deferred, that's fine. 
We're doing our job. We're arresting him. You don't want to prosecute him. Now it's on you. And I think uh, if a light is shining on that, uh, there will be pressure on the politician, through the politicians, on the politicians to change the laws and to actually put pressure on these DAs to start charging these crimes. And then we will see a reduction in these violent crimes. We will see a reduction in the violent felonies that are taking place. And then we have the other, uh, you know, the, the part of it that really has been in the news lately with the, uh, you know, they're calling them homeless, but the mentally ill that are either drug addicted or mentally ill that are, uh, you know, they're a scourge on the city, specifically in the transit system. So we know what has to be done. Chief Anamon came up with a great idea. I think that the police department needs to engage, do what we have to do, and we will get the support of the city. You know, Phil, up, up on the screen, folks, I just want to mention this. If you go on to Venmo and put in Quack32PCT, and it the account belongs to Scott DiBaseglio, who was a long-term a member of the 3-2 precinct, that money specifically, if you donate, if you choose to donate, is going to feed the officers of the 3-2 precinct. And, you know, they're, they're suffering now more than any other members of the service. They, they worked with these two brave officers, these three brave officers. And if you want to, and I'm not putting any pressure on anybody, I personally donated myself, and it's quack 3-2 precinct. I just wrote account, it down, Billy, myself. I'm gonna yeah, the account belongs to Scott DiBiseglio, so you know that the money's going to the right place. The other place where you can donate, and that's um, for the families of the two officers that were killed, and it's called Fund the First. It's run by active detective Robert Garland, all right? And the reason I'm telling you this is because there's a lot of scam um, GoFundMe accounts on, uh, on social media. This is the one to go to. I can guarantee you it's a legit account. It's called Fund the First. It's a professionally run um, crowdfunding uh, source. So if you do want to donate to the families, there's over $300,000 was donated in the last couple, last three days. So it's it's doing well. But there was also, that was before Officer Mora died. So again, I won't mention again, Fund the First or Quack 32 PCT. If you want to donate, we'd uh, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And you guys, the police off the cuff family, um, you've been great during this whole time, and um, we appreciate your support. I just want to play a little bit of uh, a little a news report on uh, Officer Mora when they announced that um, that that he that he had passed away uh, yesterday. Um, Potentially. I'm sorry. I think I get the, the, the wrong one up here. Oh, no. Hey, we'll, we'll play a little bit of this. Shot in Harlem Friday. The fifth NYPD officer shot this month alone, the second to lose his life. Wilbert Mora was shot while responding to a domestic violence call. His partner, Jason Rivera, was shot too, but didn't make it. A funeral for him will be held this Friday. The NYPD says they were shot by a stolen gun owned by LaShawn McNeil. He's suspected of shooting the officers in a gun battle. He died Monday. Mayor Eric Adams announced Tuesday a plan to combat violence. It includes bringing back the anti-gun unit, targeting 30 precincts where he says 80% of violence takes place. 
the type of plainclothes anti-gun unit we're going to use, they're going to be real guardrails. Number one, everyone is going to keep their video cameras on. Too many officers were turning off their cameras when they had interactions with civilians. So we're going to have precision policing to target those areas of the 30 precincts, 30 precincts, 80% of the violence in the city. Many of them around our, our NYCHA facilities. The residents there are crying for help. Mayor Adams wants to implement that anti-gun unit in the next three weeks. Public defenders in the city say it would reinstate a unit that they say targets minorities. Folks, you know, uh, this is this is a little bit too little, too late. You know, I think that, um, first of all, I don't think Adams really is a crime fighter. And I'm going to just, I can say that I'm, no, I'm not on the police department. I have to worry about repercussions from him. He was never a crime fighter himself. Uh, but now he's talking tough. But they're just dipping their toes in the water. And they're seeing what level of pushback they get from the radical anarchists in this city. Because you say the word anti-crime and they're like, oh, my God, you know. Look, let's be quite frank here. You know, if they're going to talk about targeting certain groups, 80% of the violent crime is done by young male blacks. So who should we be targeting? You know, let's face it. And I know that's an unpolitically, impolitical, correct statement, but it happens to be a fact. So what you need is you need plainclothes officers out there. They're already like, oh, wear a police vest. You just ruined the whole you know, the stealthiness of being a plainclothes officer. If you're wearing, why don't, you, why don't you put them in a clown suit? No, they need, and then of course, they want them to wear a body one video too. So like, are you, Adams, are you serious about fighting crime or are you just dipping your toes in the water? I think you're just dipping your toes in the water because as soon as there's an incident with one of these plainclothes incidents, you're going to run for the hills. I know you will. And I just want to make a statement also about some of these folks that have been hanging out for photo ops in front of the 3-2 precinct, many of them are the same people that six months ago were the defund the police crowd. So you're, they're wolves in sheep's clothing, you know? So let's let's know who our friends are and let's know who our enemies are. You know, I want to point out specifically, Billy, I'm just glad that you brought that up. Jamani Williams, who is the public advocate, he was the loudest voice of the defund the polices in New York. Uh, he took a strong stance against the police department during all the Black Lives Matter riots that occurred uh, about uh, a year and a half ago. In the, I guess it was the summer of 2020 uh, after the Derek Chauvin incident with um, uh, I forget the guy's name. But uh, uh, the bottom line is this. He was one of the loudest voices and he became another loud voice when. Um, when Adams decided to, to bring back anti-crime and, and I have a problem with the fact that he's only going to put it in 30 precincts, but we'll get, we'll talk about that. But he was one of the people that stood up in front of the cameras as well. We want to monitor this and see what are they going to do different uh, uh, from the, the policing that's been going on recently. Uh, I want to monitor it. I want to keep a close eye on it. Yeah, we're going to do things different. We're going to start going after guys that are carrying guns and taking the guns off the street. And you know what that's going to do? That's going to save black lives, brown lives, white lives, whatever. It's going to save lives. Okay, Jamani Williams, that's what it's going to do. Now, I just want to comment one last thing. 
I have a problem with the fact that he's only going to put it in, in 30 uh, precincts. He's going to put it in the high crime precincts or the precincts with the most shootings and stuff. It needs to be in every precinct. That's why the citywide anti-crime street crime is the one that if there is an area where there's a lot of gang shootings and stuff, the, the resources are sent there to back up the local anti-crime, the precinct anti-crime. So I think that policy is, it's a step in the right direction. Billy hit the nail right on the head. He's tipping his toe into the water to try and uh, gain political favor and say, look, this is what I'm going to do, but we need a full push. We need anti-crime in every precinct in the city, every housing location in the city, every transit location. There needs to be plainclothes offices and putting a, uh, some kind of a vest on, on an anti-crime office is completely counter to the whole concept of anti-crime. Anti-crime is called a plainclothes unit for a reason. Now, they wear sometimes the color of the day, which obviously they could be identified by other offices, uniform offices on, on a call where, where things can get chaotic and so that they're not, uh, they, they don't get shot or, 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 you know, they don't get mistaken for bad guys. But to wear a vest that is a police vest on a plainclothes officer is completely ridiculous. I don't know where that's coming from, but uh, if they enact that, you may as well, like you said, put the cops in a clown suit and uh, let them go out there because it's uh, it's completely counter to the whole concept of plainclothes anti-crime. Uh, James T. Ryder from um, the Feel Good Foundation, whose uh, brother Patrick is the police commissioner Good of man. Nassau County. James, thank you so much for that $5 super chat and for your Hashtag never forget the heroes and we, and we won't, you know, I just want to also, you know, part of the outrageousness of this and I, and I feel empowered and I want to talk for the cops because cops are not allowed to talk when they're on the police department. Jamani Williams was there talking about giving money to violence interrupters. That's the last people we need to give money to. We need to refund the police and people like you should just shut up because you have known nothing about police work. It's just like, it's a money grab. It's a money grab for these people. Exactly. And you know something? Exactly. We don't need you now. Two cops were just murdered. And you're you're spouting your left-wing rhetoric nonsense, you know? And I know people in the police department would love to call you out, but they can't. I'm calling you out, you know? And uh, the other thing I see, Sharpton's daughter in the front of the three priests, the National Action Network. Are you kidding me? When did they ever care about police? And they still don't. Another organization probably getting federal funds to do whatever they're doing. It is just disgraceful. We need to support the police and we need to, to fund the police, not defund. And they're paying the price for this. They're paying the price for this progressive nonsense, this progressive wokeness. We now have a district attorney in Manhattan, Alvin Bragg, who's going to be a disaster. He's going to be an absolute, I don't care if he just got in office in January. His policies are already a disaster. And look what's happening on these streets. And for the press, it's not called stop and frisk. It's called stop, question, and frisk. Get that right or don't report it. And you know what, Billy? Um, I think you hit the nail right on the head. It's a money grab with all of these community organizers, community leaders. That's what Jermani Williams started out as. I remember when I was in the 7-1 many years ago, he'd be showing up at different, uh, you know, when it was any kind of community unrest. And instead of trying to, uh, you know, enact calm in a community situation where there was unrest, they would always ramp it up and, and throw gasoline onto the fire, just like a Sharpton, uh, almost identical. They come from the same school of uh, it's all about money. It's a money grab. I, I agree with you a thousand percent. He needs to be called out. 
the only person that should decide where money is going, funding is going, if they refund the billion dollars that was taken away by the de Blasio administration is obviously the mayor has some saying it, but the police commissioner and the upper echelon of the police department, they know what's going on in the city. They know where to target training. They know where to target assets where there's gun crimes, violence, the subways, uh, all of these different things. Let them decide. Not Jamani Williams talking about giving money to violence interrupters where half of them are gangbangers that allegedly reformed or whatever. But there might be a spot for people like that to talk to youth in, in the city before they get into- Yeah, you know, Phil, gang. you know who they are? They're guys like uh, boxing for kids. Pat Russo, retired NYPD go. sergeant. Let's put the money into kids' programs. Before Fun they him. get in trouble, not these community organizers that are just stealing the money and, you know, and then acting like they're violence interrupters. Where did that concept come from? You know who are violent inter interrupters? Police. That's who are the violent interrupters. Phil, I'm just going to play an, a little bit more of a uh, video here, a, a touching video. On the screen is a, a motorcycle escort escorting uh, the body of P.O. Moore from NYU Langone. Uh, very touching. To the right is a whole line of police officers standing at attention. Radio cars in front, an unmarked car. And finally, uh, the ambulance that's uh, transporting his body. It's a very touching situation. And I'm sorry we get so fired up over this, but Phil and I feel like we're still on the job. Once a cop, always a cop. And we, we hear all this nonsense that we've, we didn't, you know, we were part of the big crime drop in the city. And then to see the eight years of De Bozo, they used to call him De Blasio, he undid all of the great work that the NYP did. In eight years, he destroyed the city, including uh, mentally ill people all over the streets, all over the subways. No one has a right to live on the street. Yeah, let's help these people. Let's either get them into a, uh, a supervised home or get them off the streets some way, but they do not belong living in the subways. They do not belong living in the streets. So that was a very touching little, little video right there. Uh, but that, you know, we're, we're um, very intense about this and very emotional because it's affecting uh, the whole New York city. Uh, you know, citizens, how about citizens going about their lives, having to step over homeless people. How about getting on the subway to go to work in the morning and you can't sit down because there's three homeless people sleeping in your car and no one will put their hands on them to get them out of there because they've demonized the police. Police put their hands on someone they're, they're oh my God, they're violent, you know? Billy, I just want to make a quick comment about, uh, uh, there was a protest that took place outside of the Manhattan DA's office. I believe it was two days ago. It's a Staten Island artist. And he went there and he went in front of the building and he took a, a doll, uh, a baby doll and threw blood on it. And he made a, a point and he put two police hats on the floor and put blood next to it. And he was calling out Alvin Bragg saying that, uh, you know, you need to prosecute the criminals. We're having a little baby shot, which we know happened last week. An 11 month old was shot in the face. We had two officers that were shot and killed and he was arrested because uh, he was out in front and he had a, a protest going on and he was arrested. Now, I saw a video earlier today where uh, he goes on and he says, uh, there were some negative comments. Oh, why did the police arrest you? He said, stop that nonsense. I went out and I did a protest. I wanted to show support for the police. I wanted to show support uh, against 
Alvin Bragg that his policies are, are ludicrous. And I knew I was going to get arrested. It's okay that I got arrested. Stay with the police, support the police. The point I'm trying to make is, is that you have citizens, just regular citizenry that is outraged about what's going on. It's common sense when you have a DA that's going to take a robbery first degree, a person goes into a store with a gun, robs somebody, doesn't injure them and leaves. It's going to be um, charged as a pettit larceny, a misdemeanor. It's ridiculous. That person that gets robbed, that gets a gun stuck in their face. Billy, you and I have interviewed many people that had that happen to them. It takes years off their lives. They're shaken. They suffer uh, post-traumatic stress going into the future after an incident like that. It's very, very traumatic. And you have a DA that wants to uh, bring it down to a misdemeanor, like uh, equivalent to a shoplifting. Ridiculous. This particular artist, if you look through the internet, you'll find the, the, the story, you'll find the video of him doing the protest. But uh, here's a guy that was arrested for doing the protest. And when people uh, commented negatively, negatively on his social media, he said, no, 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 don't do that. I'm with the police. I knew I was going to be arrested. It's not a big deal. I did it for a reason. I'm trying to bring attention. And, and he used some real uh, dicey language towards Bragg. He wanted to bring attention to him. And I applaud what he did. On the screen, folks, uh, the the wake for uh, police officer Jason Rivera is Thursday, and I believe it's from 1 to 8 p.m., and the funeral is on Friday. I be, believe that is at 9 a.m. The wake for uh, police officer Moore is Tuesday, February 1st, also at St. Patrick's Cathedral, and the funeral is Wednesday, February 2nd, I would believe also at 0900 uh, that's police police time, 9 a.m., um, those two brave officers. And uh, we also don't want to forget about the brave officer that uh, engaged the perp. And I use wow. the word perp with what great glee because uh, they don't want you, the kind of gentlest city allows criminals to carry guns and doesn't prosecute, but they don't want you to call them perps. Real with Robo, you all heard about the Ninth District Council member. Kirsten tweeted, Condolences to both cops and and the, their killer's family in the same tweet. I could not believe that. She's a disgrace. That's what we're dealing with in this city. We're dealing with morons like her. And, you know, I take great glee in calling her a moron because that's what she is. And if I was on the police department, I couldn't do that. I'd have to hold my tongue or I'd be in CCRB having them take 10 days. Could Somebody you should tell her how the mother could have prevented these two cops from being killed by maybe warning them that the son had a firearm in the bedroom and maybe we wouldn't be here talking about this today. How about that? Instead of offering condolences. Ridiculous. Yeah, no, she, she doesn't belong anywhere near the 3-2 precinct. She doesn't belong anywhere near St. Patrick's Cathedral. She should be escorted away if she's seen on site. All these people are trying to get photo ops, you know, trying to get get their ticket punched by being on the scene. But guess what? The police department doesn't want you there. And because uh, you're what I call a wolf in sheep's clothing, you know, you're pretending to be a sheep, but you're actually a wolf. She was one of the biggest defund the police people too, you know. Let, let, Off let's, of course. Yeah. Let's hire the violence interrupters. They're more effective, you know. Uh, horrendous, you know. And look, <laughs> I hate that I turn sometimes this gets negative, but I think we have to speak for the police, for the NYPD that cannot speak publicly about some of this stuff. Um, you know I the ironic to- thing about that, Billy? Somebody like that that is against the police and, and says disgusting things like that in a tweet, 
If she becomes a victim of a crime in the next five minutes, the police will respond. They will do what they can. They will help her. We don't look at things through that type of a lens. Everybody's treated the same. That's how, what my mind was. That's what every cop I worked with was. When you have a victim, you do what you have to do. It doesn't matter who they are, what they represent. When they're a victim, they're a victim. And that woman that says these disgusting things and was obviously an anti-police, the fund the police, uh, you know, applauding all of that, she would get the same response from the police if she calls 911 that anybody else would get. You know, Phil, that's 100% true. And of course, she should get the same. But we also don't have to consider her a friend of the police because she's not. Absolutely. We don't have to consider Jamani Williams a friend of the police, even though he's, stand, he's standing on the uh, precipice of the 3 2 precinct and pretending that he's a friend of the police. He is no friend of the police. He is none. I have a little bit of what uh, Chief Anamone said the other night when he was on our show. And I want to just play a little bit of this. Because to me, this he was one of the greatest chiefs uh, in NYPD history, and he gives a little, a, a little blurb on how we can turn this around, you know. And let's listen to what he says. Uh, there has to be, you know, a change in the city, and it's got to occur rapidly. Billy, we don't have time to wait. I've got a lot of thoughts and a lot of ideas. Maybe uh, after a little bit, we'll talk about it, but. Uh, I don't want to see any more cops killed needlessly, needlessly uh, in the line of duty because, uh, you know, there, there wasn't enough done for these cops earlier, either by the public, by the politicians, and even by the department, if they lack training or anything else. I want to fix this stuff. And I, I mean now, let's get off our asses and get this stuff done. We need a sense of urgency in this city and in this department. No more, you know, hanging around by the uh, by the uh, water cooler or the coffee pot. <laughs> get off our asses and get out there and do our job. That was Chief of Department, former Chief of Department, Louis Anamone, uh, a, a real great street cop. I mean, he was on the street in Brooklyn when he started out. He was a sergeant in the 3-2. He was a lieutenant in Manhattan South. Manhattan South, and he was in Manhattan South Narcotics. He was a lieutenant in street crime uh, captain. He was he was always a street guy. He was a guy kind of guy that would back you up. Sometimes you'd hear him over the air, three two co holding forty. You'd be like, what holding forty? You know, and that, that was, was him. That was Chief Louis Anamone. He'd be out there, and he's a he was a cops cop, and not just that, he's a brilliant strategist, and he's an expert on policing. He's an expert on disorder control. He's, you know, this current administration, and I don't want to say anything bad about the new police commission. I'm impressed with her. Uh, but they should bring in people like Animone as consultants. Bring in William Bratton as a consultant. Let's talk to them. What should we do right now to get this city right on track? Uh, I would venture to say they would do it for free, Billy. They would sit down and have a conversation with uh, Commissioner Sewell for free, I'm sure. And Louis Anamone, you can't say enough about the guy. That's a leader. That's a true leader. He wasn't afraid to take action. He was a, a four-star chief, chief of department. And I doubt very highly that a guy like him would have knelt down with uh, Black Lives Matter when all of that insanity was going on uh, two summers ago. John Donahue, uh, thank you for the 1999 Super Chat. Why is an autopsy needed on Officer Moore if they know from the doctors who are treating him in the hospital? Rest in peace, officer. 
You know, one of the things, John, I don't know anything really about the autopsy. I know that um, his organs were donated. So I they would have to keep him alive right until the very last minute to do what's called harvest those organs. So I don't know anything about the autopsy because I think to donate organs, you've got to be kept alive right into the moment they take those organs out and then they rush them to wherever they got to go. They keep them cold. And then hopefully uh, um, it goes right into the person that needs the organ donation. So again, I don't know anything about uh, the autopsy. Well, I think the autopsy would be needed, Bill, just for cause of death. Uh, they may do like, a, it's like an autopsy review. I don't think they're going to go deep into an autopsy looking for a cause of death in, in a situation like this because it's obvious what the cause of death was. And, you know, Bill, you're making a great point. I think there was that when he was transferred, there was that little bit of lag in time because notifications have to go out. If they're going to harvest specific organs, there are lists and those people have to be notified to get to a hospital that the donation, you know, the, the donation, uh, you know, of organs, it has to take place rather quickly when it's removed from one body and placed into another. So that's why I think there was that lag a day or two where, uh, he was taken off life support and, uh, his organs were harvested. And, uh, again, uh, three times the hero, uh, a very unfortunate thing, but, uh, the man died, uh, a hero for sure. 100%, you know, and, uh, it's, it's just a crazy thing that we're here talking about this, but I, I like to be, um, the voice, the voice of the department and I'm not claiming to be, but I, I, Freedom of speech is a great thing. And you, you felt like when you were on the police department, you were not free to speak your mind at all. You know, you were not free. And I it's it's liberating now to be able to to talk, to speak our mind. And uh, I just want to put Officer Sulan on the screen because I can't say enough about this young kid. And I just think that uh, people need to know who he is. People need to praise this kid because he was uh, he was an unbe unbelievable hero. And I'm going to play a little bit of this. Who acted like a seasoned veteran when facing a nightmare situation. It's a lot to take. It's a lot to take. And it's overwhelming for him as well. Harsha Sulan says her younger brother is still processing it all. Friday in Harlem, Sulan was backing up his field training officers, Jason Rivera and Wilbert Mora. While Sulan waited in the living room with a woman who called police about her son, 47-year-old LaShawn McNeil opened fire on Rivera and Mora in a bedroom. Sources say Sulan, just weeks on the job and with two cops down, moved the woman to safety before returning fire, hitting McNeil in the head and arm. He was put to the test, you know, almost day one, you know, and he passed this test with flying colors. Retired NYPD homicide detective Sergeant Bill Cannon told me while Sulan wasn't physically injured, he'll still need time to heal. You're going to need some help. You're going to need support. And you're going to need to try to put this behind you. Everyone. So that was, I was on CBS the other day talking about that and nothing's changed. I mean, he's a superhero and, uh, you know, but he's going to need support. 100% Billy. And, uh, you want to talk about PTS. That man was in hell for a few seconds. And, uh, 
I think uh, his training kicked in. He obviously uh, got the woman to safety and he returned fire and he was able to take out the perp. God only knows if that perp had gotten out of that apartment with that uh, 40 round clip and that AR uh, style weapon that he had under his, uh, under his mattress. Uh, God only knows how many other people, civilians as well as police officers could have been hurt or killed. So uh, I'm going to give a salute out to police officer Sulan and tip my hat to him. Job well done. God bless you, brother. And uh, I just hope that uh, you're going to be okay. And I'm sure you will be. And there's, there's support throughout the, uh, throughout the job and there's support of the, of the city, uh, you know, calling you a hero and you are, and uh, you're going to be all right. And uh, I've been through a couple of shootouts. I was in a couple of gun battles and uh, it definitely stays with you, but you'll be fine. You did great. And again, a salute and a tip to the hat for police officer Sulan. You know, guys, the other day I, uh, when we had Adam on, I jokingly said my worst PTSD is thinking that I'm on the eighth floor of one police plaza and I turn toward the lectern and uh, at Comstat and you're grilling me. That's the biggest source of my PTSD. And he thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, but you, you got you to explain that a little, that uh, during his time, Chief Adamone's time, there was a thing called Comstat where, you know, precinct commanders, detective commanders would have to go in and they would be grilled about what's going on and what are they doing about it. So again, you're right. I, I can remember bosses that I worked for, you know, struggling because uh, they would get a call, you know, late in the afternoon, tomorrow's Comstat, and you know, you're going to go before the, uh, the whole uh, ensolage of, of uh, Chief Anamone and the other bosses, the police commissioner as well. And, and you're going to be hit with questions and Billy, you know, from, from experience. So it was, it was a little bit of levity. It was a joke, but uh it wasn't. There was no joke <laughs> when it was it going was no on. Right? Joke. Exactly. It's like, folks, any one of you, if you're at whatever your job is, imagine being called up at a lectern by all your bosses and have them right. grill you on what you're doing. What are you actually doing every day with your job? And uh, it was uncomfortable, but you know something. That's why the city turned around because of that introspection and that account, amount of count, accountability. You know, and uh, folks, I, we're gonna. Uh, be signing off in a few minutes because I we always go long. Well, let me make say. one last point because I want to talk about comps that okay. it's a little bit skewed towards the chief because he had all of the, the statistics right in front right. of him. And the detective or the, the detective sergeant or the commanding officer, a lot of times they would have all the information that they had. So it was very easy to hit them with questions about what's going on. And I'm sure it was uh, uncomfortable at times. But listen, it brought down crime. It was a great tool. Uh, you know, my final words today just be uh, members of the 3-2 Precinct, hang in there. Things are going to get better. And um, in the words of Terry Tunnick, always remember, we are the police. Absolutely, Billy. Absolutely. I just, uh, my last words are going to be uh, thoughts and prayers for the two police officers and their families that lost their lives. And everybody that's listening to this, all of our fans, please just support our brothers and sisters in blue. They go out there and they do a very difficult job every day. And we accept that uh, the chances that something might happen uh, and you don't come home to your family, we accept that. But these things that recently happened, they were unacceptable, unnecessary, and uh, just keep them in your thoughts and prayers. Thank you. Folks, uh, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories slash Coffee with Cannon, Bitchin' with Bill, whatever you'd prefer. But uh, we've been very emotional last week in the amount of shows that we're doing on this very topic because we believe that we need to help speak for those that can't speak out against the powers that be. And uh, that I take great pride in doing it. 
and uh, not to be negative every day, but when people need to be criticized, we'll take that on our backs. So, guys, thank you so much for your support. God bless and have a safe day. Stay safe, everyone.